Ian and Rainin, thank you for, no, you can stay there, you're you're done. (laughs) Thank you for your meaningful divrei Torah. I noticed that each of you were concerned, at least a little bit, with the kind of strange and detailed rules and the strictness of the Parsha, but you also each focused on something pleasing or delightful to the senses, the sight of the eternal light and the smell of the incense. Rainan, you brought us the rabbinic teaching that the ner tamid, the eternal light, is a metaphor for the Jewish people, and how the beating down of our people doesn't prevent us from shining our light. And you went on to talk about the Holocaust. It just so happens that one week ago, last Friday, I was in Auschwitz-Birkenau with 14 teenagers from CBE, some of whom I think are here right now. We had been in Poland for almost a week and in Berlin before that. We walked the perimeter of the Warsaw Ghetto, learning of the uprising and the courageous people who lived there. We descended into Berlin's monument for the murdered Jews of Europe. We stumbled over Stoppelstein, the little brass memorials that are inlaid in Germany's sidewalks to inform passersby about a Jewish family that used to live in that place but was deported and murdered. We visited Majdanek, the concentration and death camp right next to Lublin, preserved as it was at the time of liberation, so close to the city that apartment buildings looked directly upon the smokestack of the crematorium. And we visited the Ringelblum archives, which features the writings of the Oneg Shabbat Collective, a group of Warsaw organizers who resisted the Nazis, by documenting what was happening in the ghetto and saving those documents in metal containers, metal milk cans that they buried beneath the city. And those milk cans survived, and now the contents are in this archive. In Krakow, we learned about 1,000 years of robust Jewish history in Poland, seeing its evidence in synagogues, including the Rima Synagogue, which was built by Moshe Isserlis, the foremost Ashkenazi rabbinic authority in the 16th century, and the Temple Synagogue, a Moorish revival sanctuary with stained glass windows that reminded us of CBE. It was actually a booming center of progressive Jewish life in Krakow when it was built in 1862, which, by the way, is the same year as the founding of our congregation. In 1939, there were 3.3 million Jews in Poland, most of whom traced their ancestry back in that place for centuries. Now, in Krakow, there are officially 150 Jews. Though the Krakow JCC, where we shared in a packed and joyous Shabbat dinner, has 850 members, which includes many people who are in the process of rediscovering and reclaiming their Jewish roots. So the Jewish community is growing, but still, Less than several thousand Jews live in Poland now, out of 3,300,000. More than the bottomless evil of Auschwitz and more than the unimaginable scale of Birkenau's abject cruelty, the horror that stayed with me most from this trip was the silence, the erasure. Outside of Warsaw and Krakow, there are basically no Jews. 
The countryside is dotted with hundreds of little towns, many of which used to be Jewish population centers. Some were 30% Jewish, some were 70% Jewish. Now all of them are 0% Jewish. The people in them who are younger than 85 have never met a Jew. They live their lives having no idea that the house they live in used to be a Jewish home or the house next door, that the corner market used to be the Jewish butcher, that the school two blocks over used to be the cheder, that the church down the street used to be a synagogue. Unlike in Germany, where there are memorials everywhere, there are no plaques, there are no monuments in these small Polish towns. People are not taught about the Jewish history of their towns in school. It is not spoken of. There is total erasure. This is only exacerbated by the Nationalist Law and Justice Party, which took power in Poland in 2015 and has steadily been sliding toward authoritarian rule, controlling the media, limiting civil liberties, and undermining judicial independence. Their 2018 law bans any speech that blames Poland or Poles for the crimes committed by the Third Reich, even as collaborators. Meaning, in Poland, you're not allowed to implicate Poles in the harm done to Jews during World War II. Originally, violation of this law was punishable by up to three years in prison. After intervention by the US State Department, violators are now merely liable for civil penalties. Nonetheless, there is a chilling silence. An organization called the Forum for Dialogue, which is run by non-Jews, is a beacon of hope. They work in 50 towns that used to be majority Jewish engaging a self-selected group of high school students in each town in a research project to discover the Jewish story of their town. The kids create a walking tour to point out where Jews lived and prayed and shopped and learned. And they say that this information seems to be completely new for everyone in the town, that no one knows this history. We visited one of these small towns and had an encounter with kids who had done that work for the last two years and our 14 students were the very first Jews they'd ever met. Now, Ian, you especially were concerned about all the rules in Judaism, all the strictness. And I think, as Reform and Progressive Jews, many of us can relate to that concern. One of the theories about strictness in Judaism that has made the most sense to me has to do with trauma. The theory goes that strictness is a response to trauma, and in particular, strictness is an attempt to keep the Jewish people from disappearing. For example, after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and most Jews were taken as slaves by the Roman Empire and scattered across the world, the remaining rabbis created the Mishnah, the first book of Jewish law. They were afraid that if we didn't have a standard operating manual, Judaism in Morocco would look so different from Judaism in Babylonia, which is now Iraq, that they would become different religions and different peoples. So they made a code book that everyone could follow to stay united. And the next time it happened was after the Spanish expulsion in 1492, and that was the Shulchan Aruch, which is the guidebook that most Orthodox Jews, most, most Orthodox Jewish law is based upon today. And then the last time it happened was at the onset of modernity, which coincided with the Holocaust. And so today you have groups of Jews who are interpreting Judaism in the most strict and reactionary way possible. And that leads us back to my story about being in Poland last week. Because meanwhile, while we were experiencing the eerie silence of a Poland emptied of Jews, and while American Jews were bracing for a neo-Nazi organized national day of hate calling for anti-Semitic graffiti and vandalism and possibly worse, Israeli Jews 
were filling the streets in hundreds of thousands in protest of the Israeli government's slide toward authoritarianism. As they marched, they chanted, Yariv Levin, Kan Ze Lopolin, telling the so-called justice minister, Yariv Levin, this is not Poland. This, Israelis were chanting, is not a society that will slide quietly into the darkness of authoritarian rule, that will allow its government to hobble the judiciary, to remove civil liberties, to silence public media and public voices. But two days later, Israel sure looked like the Poland of old. After the abhorrent murder of two innocent Israeli brothers, Israeli settlers committed a pogrom, a pogrom, like the kind that our people were subject to for those thousand years of Polish history. 400 supposedly religious Jews from the settlement of Harbracha, that means mountain of blessing, ironically enough, rampaged through the Palestinian town of Hawara, burning cars, burning homes, destroying property, beating anyone they could find, murdering one person and injuring 100 more, while the military largely stood by. Six people were arrested and immediately released. The rampaging settlers are unlikely to be punished. The ruling coalition's anti-democratic moves are designed for a moment just like this. By stripping the power of the courts, they can act without judicial oversight in the West Bank. While the Israeli public is marching to prevent that, marching in the streets to defend the courts, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant just signed an agreement giving governmental powers over the West Bank to none other than Bezalel Smotrich, Israel's finance minister and a minister of defense, who said in response to the pogrom that Hawara, quote, needs to be wiped out, and who denied that Jewish terrorism exists. Smotrich now has full powers over nearly all aspects of life in the West Bank including planning and building, meaning the ability to expand settlement construction and stop all Palestinian development. The government also plans to set up a dual justice system by which the settlements exist under the full protection of Israeli law, but Palestinians are given no civil rights. According to the lead Haaretz editorial of this week, the difference between military control of the West Bank and civil control of the West Bank is the difference between de facto and de jure annexation. Describing this as, quote, a severe breach of international law, Haaretz's editorial board, the editorial board of Haaretz wrote, quote, in light of the fact that there is no intention of granting civil rights to the millions of Palestinians living in the West Bank, the result of the agreement is a formal, full-fledged apartheid regime. That is the Haaretz editorial board. This is called Shabbat Zahor. The Shabbat before Purim, as I mentioned, on which we read an additional section of Torah and that Haftarah portion that we heard. And the, the part of the Torah that we read is from Deuteronomy 25, and it says, Zachor, remember. Remember what Amalek did to you on your journey after you left Egypt. How undeterred by fear of God, he surprised you on the march when you were famished and weary and cut down all the stragglers in your rear. Therefore, when Adonai your God grants you safety from all your enemies around you in the land that Adonai your God is giving you as a hereditary portion, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Amalek. We heard also that name in the Haftarah portion. Amalek was the exemplar 
of evil to our ancestors. Attacking our ragtag group of former slaves from behind, ignoring military ethics, targeting the weakest and most vulnerable. Amalek the person and Amalek the nation became representative to the Jewish people of vicious genocidal hate. Hate that would stop at nothing to destroy Israel and annihilate the Jewish people. We read these verses on the Shabbat before Purim because on Purim we read the book of Esther in which Haman is explicitly described as a descendant of Amalek and his plans to murder all the Jews in the Persian Empire reflect that lineage. The fanciful conclusion to the book delivers relief from his planned pogrom and instead offers a reverse pogrom. Verse 9-1 says, And so on the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, when the king's command and decree were to be executed, the very day on which the enemies of the Jews had expected to get them in their power, the opposite happened. And the Jews got their enemies in their power. And in verse 5, So the Jews struck at their enemies with a sword, slaying and destroying. They wreaked their will upon their enemies. Verse 16, they disposed of their enemies, killing 75,000 of their foes. We are warned in the verses of Shabbat Sahor that Amalek will rise again. That we must not forget that Amalek is real. Hitler was Amalek. There are Amaleks getting louder and louder in our country. And there are Amaleks targeting the state of Israel and its inhabitants. Amalek laid waste to three million Polish Jews and three more million from the rest of Europe. We must never forget Amalek is real. But the vengeance of this story and this holiday is also a favorite of the very worst elements of the Jewish people. It was on Purim in 1994 that Baruch Goldstein killed 29 Muslim worshipers and wounded 125 more when he opened fire in the cave of the patriarchs in Hebron. Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gavir, his fellow coalition member, are open admirers of Baruch Goldstein. Ben-Gavir actually had a picture of Baruch Goldstein on his wall for many years. This is who is in charge of the West Bank now, meaning that the next few days, Purim, will be extremely dangerous for the Palestinian people who live there. Blotting out the memory of Amalek from under heaven cannot mean becoming like Amalek. It cannot mean reversing the pogrom. It cannot mean indiscriminately burning and beating and destroying and murdering. It cannot mean establishing apartheid rule over a subjugated people. Surely, this is not what God wants of us. In the words of Rabbi Art Green about the pogrom this week, we Jews like to think of ourselves as people with long memories, stretching, stretching all the way back to Sinai, to our patriarchs and matriarchs and all the rest, but we also need to admit how ridiculously, ridiculously short our Jewish memories can be. I wonder, he says, how many of those 400 who committed the pogrom are grandchildren of Holocaust survivors? Are they not ashamed looking at themselves in the mirror? Or has that memory disappeared already? Jews have such a long history of understanding what it means to belong to a defenseless minority, he says, Indeed, Israel was created precisely because of that as a nation state that would give us a way to emerge from constant victimhood. I was on a Zoom this week 
with two leaders of the mass protests that are taking place almost daily now on the streets of Israel. They said a few things I want to share with you. First, they said that the right-wing coalition government is helping to unite the resistance. For the first time, the LGBT community, women, those seeking equality for Israeli Arabs, those standing up for refugees, those standing up against the occupation, all have the same enemy. They are seeing the connections. They are seeing that it's the same struggle. They're seeing that democracy for them depends upon ending the occupation for Palestinians. And they said that secular protesters are seeing that they actually need a new Judaism. That Judaism itself has been their enemy because the face of Judaism is these right-wing hate-filled fanatics. But they do not want their entire tradition to be defined by hate. And so they are finally recognizing the need for progressive Judaism. They believe that the country is waking up now to all of these connections and that they are in a war for the future, not only of Israel, but of Judaism itself and the Jewish people who we're going to be. The settlers who destroyed Hawara this week stopped in the middle of their rampage to Davin Mariv to pray the very prayers we prayed as a community last night, some of the same prayers we prayed this morning, and then they went back to burning down the town. If the words of our prayers do not stop us from becoming like Amalek, what is their purpose? This Shabbat Zahor, the chant of the Israeli street is ringing in our ears. Yariv Levin, kan ze lopolin. Yariv Levin, supposed minister of justice, this is not Poland. On this Shabbat Zahor, we side with the Israeli street, who defiantly assert that they will not be silent, that they will not be erased, that they will not slide into the dark night of authoritarian rule. On this Shabbat Zahor, we side with the Israeli street who declare that the Jewish people will be neither victims nor victimizers. We side with the Israeli street who declare that blotting out Amalek must never mean becoming like Amalek. Instead, it must mean to protect against the Amalek outside of us and to reject the Amalek within us. No matter how much we've been crushed, we focus on the light, we focus on the incense, we focus on the God that loves beauty and delight, on the God that loves tenderness and closeness, on the God that loves freedom, on the God that loves all life. This is what it is to learn from the Holocaust. This is what it is to celebrate Purim. This is what it is to pray. This is what it is to be a Jew. Shabbat Shalom.